Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. I'm John Boccasino, Senior Internal Communications Specialist at Syracuse University. Each April, the Syracuse University community celebrates our Asian American and Pacific Islander students, faculty, and staff during Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. This year's theme is regrounding, celebrating our identity, focusing on sharing and celebrating the pride, strength, and joy demonstrated by our on-campus AAPI community. It's an important theme especially following the challenges of the last two years, including the COVID-19 pandemic and a troubling rise in anti-Asian hate crimes and bias incidents. One of the highlights of AAPI Heritage Month was the April 7th commemorative lecture with Michelle Zahner, a talented and decorated singer and guitarist who creates indie pop under the name Japanese Breakfast. Mercy Sugai, a graduate student in the School of Education and graduate assistant in student activities, served as AAPI Planning Committee co-chair, while Hei-Joon Yu, a dual major in Newhouse and the iSchool, moderated the commemorative lecture Q&A with Michelle Zahner. On this student-centric CUSE conversation, we catch up with Sugai and Yu to discuss planning this year's AAPI Heritage Month celebrations, why they wanted to get involved, and how their time at Syracuse University helped them discover more about who they are. So Mercy, I, I appreciate you making the time to join us here as we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and you've played a key role so far in this month's celebrations. Uh, describe for us your role as the co-chair of the planning committee. Um, a lot of what I do and what Huey does as well is co-facilitate meetings with the planning committee. Um, in the fall, we were meeting about once a month, and then in the spring, it turned into pretty much weekly um, up until April. So facilitating two hour long meetings, making sure that we um, were able to get a good representation of student, staff and faculty that wanted to participate. Um, also definitely facilitating those conversations around student groups that are associated with AAPI identities on campus and making sure that they were making progress towards planning their events. Um, we're also collaborating a lot with campus partners to make sure that they could be present at events and they were understanding of what was going on around campus. Um, so there's a lot of behind the scenes work, just making sure that a bunch of moving parts were um, headed on track to be able to pull off a successful month. Um, but the bulk of what um, Huey and I did on a day-to-day -day basis would be communicate with students and campus partners. What do you hope uh, are the main goals and main takeaways for AAPI Heritage Month? I, I hope that it could be a celebration for both students, staff, and, and faculty um, within the AAPI community here at SU. Um, I think last year's AAPI month celebration happened to be in the midst of a giant spike in hate crimes against um, Asian Americans. And I think this year, while that hasn't necessarily gone away, I think we're moving towards reclaiming our sense of identity, um, which is where the theme came from. Um, reclaiming our identities as AAPI student, staff, and faculty at SU, and how can we empower one another through difficult times um, as we're kind of moving forward away from hopefully what is a large spike in COVID-19 and thinking about how can we take this kind of post spike in COVID and celebrate how far we've come as a community um, and more in those we've lost um, at the same time, which is a little bit tricky, I think, to navigate, but it was our hope through all of the events and having a celebration aspect of some events and while having like some serious and in-depth conversations about um, anti-Asian bias in this country, 
Um, we could do both simultaneously. And I think that's a really powerful facet of both of our identities and this month and this um, this heritage month that SU is giving us um, to kind of highlight different facets of the Asian American experience at SU um, and then how far we have to come as well. I love the theme reclaiming our identities. You could say that that applies to every single member of our Syracuse University campus as we are struggling to come to terms with who we are and what life is all about as we hopefully emerge uh, from the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic. For you, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, your identity, and maybe how you found your identity here at Syracuse. I'm Japanese, um, but I'm half Japanese, half Italian. Um, And I think that identity is something that I've kind of come to terms with through young adulthood, specifically as an undergrad, not here at Syracuse. But I think um, here at Syracuse, I've been really lucky to um, discover and find the ways that my identity impact my work with students. I'm really lucky that I get to work with so many students on a day-to-day basis, and a lot of them happen to be within that AAPI community um, through this role and through my role at Student Activities um, because I advise RSOs. Um, but I think um, SU has showed me how I can use my identity to relate to students and empower students to um, kind of find their identity and where they fit in on a predominantly white campus. Um, both finding Asian American and Pacific Islander students that they relate to and can have community with, but also advocating for themselves and for others in predominantly white spaces. Um, So as an undergraduate student, not at SU, I think I've started to come to terms with being biracial um, and the implications that holds. But now at SU as a half professional, half student, I'm learning how to um, claim my identity to help others, which I think is, is a really important conversation to have for a lot of graduate students, but I, I'm very thankful that I'm in this place now, in this positionality now, because it further emphasized my identity development as an Asian woman. We all have struggles growing up. We all have struggles in college. College is your formative experience where you try to figure out who the heck you are and what you want to do with the rest of this thing called life. And when you factor in your background, trying to figure out exactly who you are can be a really overwhelming time uh, on a college campus. What kind of struggles did you have uh, growing up as both Japanese and Italian heritage? I think the biggest struggle was, I think a lot of biracial and multiracial people face um, is not feeling like I was blank enough for a space. So not feeling like I was Japanese enough with my with my Japanese family, as most of them are monoracial um, and most of them are Japanese. Some of them immigrated from Japan. Some of them have been living in America and speak both Japanese and English. So I think a lot of them still have a larger part of their Japanese identity that I didn't really relate to growing up. Um, and then in the same way, I definitely don't present as white in most spaces. So I never really felt like I could fit in with my white family um, because obviously I look significantly different than them. And there will always be a part of me that won't present fully as European or white or Italian or any way because of just the nature of of genetics. So I think um, growing up, I never really felt like I could fit into one space, which for some reason I felt like I had to. Um, But then at the same time, when I got to college and was able to interact with a lot of people who were kind of going through a similar 
dilemma of some sorts. I could find my place as a biracial individual um, interacting with a lot of students who were multiracial or biracial and thinking about the ways that we could claim our own spaces, um, even if it didn't look like fitting in exactly with one ethnicity or the other ethnicity or one group of people or the other group of people. I think there's something pretty powerful about having multiple identities that you can claim and you can feel strongly towards. Um, I still feel an affinity towards both sides, I guess, if you want to call it that, of my identity. But being able to be confident in that um, took a long time, most of my adolescence and young adulthood. But I feel confident at age 24, I've, I've fully understood where I'm sitting and where I'm positioned as someone who is biracial. And I feel like our students, just based on our brief conversation, are very fortunate to have your perspective because you get to work with our students uh, as a graduate assistant in the Office of Student Activities, passing on these life experiences. What are some of the best words of advice you can give uh, when it comes to counseling our students as to how to find their identities and how to really find out who they are on campus? I think the biggest piece of advice I I try to give and will always give is to never stop talking about your identity. Um, I think I'm fortunate enough to work with student organizations that are centered around Asian American and Pacific Islander identities on campus. And I think a lot of times they feel discouraged that they don't feel supported by the university um, or they don't want to pilot a new initiative again because they don't think they'll have that campus or community support. Um, but I think once we stop having that conversation about our identities and wanting to celebrate those, the momentum goes away. Um, and I think the university, while making steps to support students who aren't white, <laughs> could do a lot better. And I think once we stop talking about the ways that we can impact others in the campus community, that's when the ball drops. Um, and so I always try to encourage students to continue advocating for yourself and for others and keep advocating for the community and also no one to ask for help. So no one I need to step in to advocate on your behalf. No one, a faculty or a staff member that you trust can step in, um, but also recognizing that there's power in numbers and finding a space where you can have a lot of people together that identify similarly as you and identify within the AAPI community um, using your voices collectively to make a difference um, for you and for your experience, but also for future generations of AAPI students who are going to come into SU. Um, so I think continuing the conversation and making sure that momentum never dies because of just being discouraged, um, which is so valid to feel discouraged, but I think that's where staff and professionals can come in to kind of give you the extra push, the extra motivation to keep going. How would you describe the resources that you have found uh, on campus through both the Office of Multicultural Affairs and the unbelievable and amazing intercultural collective that we have here on Syracuse's campus? I'm really fortunate that I got connected with OMA um, just because transparently there's not a ton of spaces for staff and students who identify within a certain population to interact other than in the ICE, in the intercultural collective. Um, so I think having the opportunity to be part of a planning committee and to co-chair that planning committee um, gave me the opportunity to interact with a lot of people who I probably wouldn't have got the chance to interact with just candidly here at SU um, without that formal committee meeting. So I think the fact that OMA um, 
pilots a lot of those Heritage Month planning committees and tries to get a lot of people from a lot of different offices and departments involved, um, I think is a great step in the right direction to make sure that students especially feel like they know exactly which staff members they can turn to in times of need and faculty members and also can create a community with each other from a lot of different organizations on campus. Um, we had representation from Greek organizations, from student orgs, um, or just honestly random students who weren't affiliated with either and wanted to join. So um, I think having that community and creating that community through Heritage Month planning committees is something that I've really enjoyed that OMA does. And I hope that they continue to find a wide variety of staff and students and faculty who fit into that particular identity of whatever month they're planning. Thankful that OMA takes the initiative to set up planning committees um, that are based around identity so that it feels like there's a community that I honestly probably wouldn't have found without it. Um, and then similarly with the Intercultural Collective, being able to work with Huey and OMA gave me a lot of exposure to other staff in the Intercultural Collective and the other offices there. Um, so I'm very thankful that they exist in that space um, and are able to help students even very casually and informally when I pop by the office, I can still have conversations with a lot of different professional staff members and graduate assistants who work in different offices in the Intercultural Collective. What advice could you possibly give as far as to people who aren't of uh, a Japanese or an Asian American uh, cultural background to become an ally? What advice would you offer to them? I would recommend taking small steps in your everyday life to become more educated, whether that means following um, an API creator on Instagram or whatever social media you use, just to kind of see the lived experiences in the day to day happenings and advocacy um, that a lot of creators advertise. Um, I think that's a powerful tool because if you're already scrolling on Instagram every day, um, you might as well pass a few posts that are educational and can teach you a little bit. Um, and while that seems kind of silly, <laughs> I think that's a really easy way to incorporate it into things that you're already doing. I also think that if you're a university student or staff or faculty member attending lectures or educational sessions or programs that are put on by the university, a lot of times if you're a student, they use your student fees to put them on. So take advantage of those learning opportunities um, and try to find ways that the university is trying to educate the campus community, um, especially those who don't identify within a particular population. Um, and then obviously just taking time to be empathetic to people in your life that might identify within the API community and um, actually having a full conversation with them and, and getting giving them the opportunity to explain their identities, how they feel about their identities, um, and how they feel in a predominantly white space like SU. You got your bachelor's degree in human development and family studies from Colorado State University before coming to Syracuse to study uh, higher education here. What made you want to come to Syracuse in the first place? I think the higher education master's program here was a large reason of why I wanted to come to SU. Um, it's pretty well known in the community, but I also feel um, like Syracuse is pretty nationally known for being a large private school with a lot of resources and a lot of opportunities for both connections after graduation um, and then also connections while you're at SU. And I'd have to say that holds pretty true. This is definitely a completely different experience from my undergraduate institution, which is what I wanted. Um, I think the pride that students and staff and faculty hold, um, but yet I also have recognized there's a lot of trends of students, although they have pride to be 
a Syracuse Orange alum, they also are willing to call out the university and think critically about the choices that the university makes and advocate on behalf of, of students and staff and faculty. And I think that's really powerful. And I found that in the student body here. And I know that's sometimes not present at every institution. Um, and it's also, while it might be present at every institution, it's not always welcome by the institution. So I, I, I'm very thankful that I've found a university that both supports and challenges its students in the same way that that students support and challenge that university, if that makes sense. Um, so I think there's a really strong campus community here um, that I know will carry me many years after I graduate. Um, but I also think that students and staff and faculty here are, are really critical thinkers and will push the university to be better. We appreciate everything you're doing to advance AAPI month here on campus, and we wish you nothing but the best of luck as you pursue that master's degree. Thank you so much. Hey, June, we're, we're talking here during uh, AAPI Heritage Month, and it's really something that Syracuse University has prided itself on putting forth these activities and these celebrations to really get to know our students who happen to be of Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage. To you, why did you want to get involved in planning the events that were taking place on campus? Yeah, so um, I I wanted to be involved because um, I've always kind of, I felt that like when I was younger, I kind of had to put my um, like Korean or Asian heritage kind of on a back burner kind of almost in a way because it wasn't really something I could really talk about to my peers or um, anyone else around me because it was kind of more just like a, you know, a, I guess not like a foregrounding uh, characteristic of mine. So I think being able to kind of, you know, be proud of my identity and heritage and kind of just like being able to be part of something that, you know, celebrates my identity and others' identities as well was something I kind of wanted to kind of explore more of in college and stuff. So um, Justin Kayago, who is actually also part of the planning committee, he was the one who told me about the event. And um, at first I was a little hesitant because I had never really like been part of like any planning committee or any planning of any event on campus other than, I guess, for my other orgs. So um, nothing of this like scope, I'd say. So I think kind of just being, um, you know, being part of it just made me feel like, oh, I can connect to other people and, you know, connect with my identity in general, so. You happen to be of uh, Korean American descent um, and your parents moved to this country when you were, when you were younger. So obviously you've got uh, a history and a connection with both Korea and here with the United States. What role did your identity, I guess, play in who you were when you were in high school? And then how has that connection to your identity changed since you came to, to Syracuse? In high school, it was, um, I didn't really, I guess, talk about my Korean heritage or my the fact that I'm Korean to a lot of people. Um, I think it was kind of just like, oh, I'd like briefly mention, mention it to my friends and stuff. But then I think towards the end or middle to end of high school, I kind of kind of started getting more into Korean culture. So like, um, like art forms and like music. And I also wanted to try more of the food, even though like I'd grown up on it, but I wanted to explore kind of like you know, from like the recipes that my mom would show me and I kind of wanted to kind of explore more into that. So I think, um, and I think at that point I kind of was less, I guess, for lack of a better word, embarrassed by my culture. And I kind of wanted to embrace it more as I grew up because I think I was able to mature more into, you know, appreciating it instead of kind of um, tucking it away in the background. So I think when I got to college, like, so when I came here, it was kind of like, I wanted to continue um, exploring my identity and, you know, meeting like-minded people about it. 
did you feel any sort of conflict um, with who you were? Because I, I can only imagine how difficult it could be to grow up and have, you know, different identities, different cultural identities and, you know, what it means to be an American and what it means to be Korean. And then you blend those two together trying to grow up here in the States. Yeah, um, I think a lot of the times I actually wrote an essay about this for like a class in high school. Um, it was kind of like I feel like a lot of the times people who immigrate to different countries, especially not um, immediately from birth, but kind of more later in their lives. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like the idea that you have to pick, I guess, or choose one identity for oneself instead of having to, you know, share both identities within your own like self. But I think it was kind of just like I felt um, the pressure to kind of assimilate more into American culture. So I think a lot of times I would kind of not really that I think hence that's why I didn't really talk about my Korean identity because I felt like I had to kind of forgo that one to become more American. But growing up, I think I kind of realized, you know, you can have to, you can, you know, definitely have multiple, multiple cultural identities and kind of, you know, like nothing wrong with just kind of sharing multiple cultures and you know, knowing that you can have a multifaceted part of your, like your heritage and stuff. So what have you learned about your Korean identity and your Korean heritage that maybe you didn't know or appreciate when you were in high school? I definitely cook better now. Oh <laughs> 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 um, yeah. I, I think that's the one big thing. Um, I actually didn't really like cook a lot of like Korean food or I guess or I, I would eat Korean food a lot, but I think I did, wasn't really adventurous in my like palate in terms of like I didn't really get to try other foods other than the ones I grew up with so I think when I got to college I kind of was like oh I'll try like more <clears throat> food stuff and like I think since food is such like a big part of our culture it's kind of like um, what you know bridges me and like my family together and my extended family my friends and stuff so um, I'd say that would be <clears throat> a pretty big part um, I think also just like appreciating the language too I think um, I speak Korean with my parents at home, but um, there are times where I have to speak English sometimes because some words are not translatable. Now I kind of go back to doing both English and Korean. So um, kind of just, you know, reminding myself to speak with my parents more and kind of utilize, like, you know, remind myself on the, like, the lingo and stuff, I think, lets me kind of find roots back to my Korean heritage. What would you describe the goals of AAPI Heritage Month? What are we trying to accomplish with these events that are lined up on campus? Yeah, um, I think for the most part, it's kind of just to bring a sense of unity and um, kind of let people know that, you know, if you, I know that when I first came to college, um, I it was like definitely a lot different because I think towards the end of high school, I was able to find like a very solid friend group that shared a lot of interests or I guess, um, experiences with me and growing up uh, like you know like with different heritages and different cultures and I think coming here at first I remember I kind of had difficulty finding people with the same experiences because you know also because I didn't know anyone so that was another part but um, I think just being at like these events and like the month itself the heritage month I think it just reminds people that you know you're not alone and sharing these experiences and like if you feel like you don't have anyone to talk about your culture or experiences with like that's not true and that you know, there is someone where people, there's, there's so many people on campus you get to talk about anything with. And I think um, the events kind of serve as a really good reminder for people if they don't feel like, you know, they have someone to talk to about, you know, growing up like a certain identity or um, kind of sharing like how they feel about their own culture. 
How did you become involved in multicultural affairs? Yeah, um, so I, um, what happened was uh, Justin Kaya, who I mentioned earlier, we met in that class and we actually had mutual friends before. Um, but because of the class, we were like chatting and then he was asking me one weekend, like, oh, like, what are you doing one weekend? And then I was like, oh, I'm going to a Japanese breakfast show out of town. And he was like, oh, that's cool. And then a few weeks later, he was like, um, I have something that you might be interested in. And I was like, oh, what is it? And then he told me about the podcast with uh, Amy, um, uh, Amy, Mr. Smith Horan. She was the one who was like, oh, would you be interested in moderating for the Michelle's Honor Q&A? And I was like, oh, sure. So I, I didn't think I was, I, I was like, oh, I mean, like, um, I, I had never moderated before, at least not in like recent years. So um, it was a lot like, I, I didn't, I was like, oh, maybe I'm not, I don't really know if they would choose me because, you know, I'm not really, I don't really have other experience, but um, I ended up sending like a little essay about why I wanted to do it. And then a few days later, they're like, oh, you've been chosen. And I, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> it was the kickoff uh, commemorative lecture with Michelle Zahner, uh, who's an unbelievable story. Um, she's a singer and guitarist for the indie pop group Japanese Breakfast. Highly recommend checking out her tunes. It's just a fantastic artist out there. And she was part of the, again, AAPI Heritage Month commemorative lecture. And Hey June got to serve as the moderator for this event. What was that like? Did you ever have like a kind of a fangirl moment where you're sitting up there and you're so close to somebody who's so talented? You saw her in concert recently, and here you are moderating this program. Yeah, it was um, definitely nerve wracking. I was like, I don't know what to talk to her about because um, we had we had the opportunity to kind of um, we had to escort her from her hotel to campus, basically. And so um, leading up to that, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to say something like embarrassing or I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess you never, you never know what to say to when you meet someone you admire, especially um, like I have been listening to her music for like a good amount of time. So um, I was just like, uh, like, let me not fangirl, but let me also fangirl to, you know, tell her how much I appreciate her music. So but it was it was super great. It went really well. And um I was like, as I said, I didn't really have moderating experience. So I think um, for in the moment, I kind of was like, oh, like, how am I going to you know, work through this? But then um, I found out like keeping it like a more casual conversation really worked well. And I think that really helped in kind of, you know, letting like the flow of the Q&A go by and just seemed like a really good conversation and it all worked out. So. What were you and Michelle hoping to convey to the audience? Like what was her main point, her main summary that she wanted to uh, express to those who were t- paying attention and listening to the lecture? Um, I think a big part was definitely about the creative aspect, like um, pursuing creative endeavors in one's career. I know a lot of, um, there was an audience Q&A after, and a lot of people were asking about, like, how do I break into making music or, you know, just um, pursuing a creative track in the future. And a lot of it was kind of just like her giving advice on, you know, being sure of yourself and kind of, you know, believing in what your efforts are being put into, kind of believing in yourself and continuing to keep going, I think was a big part of what she was speaking about. When it came to your essay as to why you wanted to moderate, give us a little spiel. What did you say about why you wanted to serve as the moderator? I um, have been listening to her for a while and um, just music is like a big part of my life. Um, not necessarily like playing or anything. I just, I've always uh, grown up listening to music. I listen to music probably any moment I'm not doing anything else. And so um, 
being able to kind of, I remember like when I first heard about Japanese breakfast slash Michelle's honor, I was really inspired because he was someone that, you know, like, um, you know, also has like Korean heritage or Korean background and who isn't afraid to kind of just be herself and, you know, make music, candid music about just like her experiences. And I think just being, you know, being able to be vulnerable with such a general public audience was kind of just like, you know, it's really inspiring and like a confidence boost for a lot of people, a lot of young people, I feel. So I think um, I talked about that and how she's like very inspiring to me. And um, in like the book that she, her memoir that she wrote and um, how that was also like, I mean, an amazing read and kind of wanting to explore more of that drew the Q&A and talk, let her talk about it more. So that's basically, I guess, the spiel of the essay I wrote. I want to back up a little bit, hey June, and get into more of your personal story here of Syracuse University. Um, you're a dual major in Newhouse and the iSchool. What are you currently studying and why did you choose to come to Syracuse? Yeah, um, so at Newhouse, I'm studying advertising and um, the emphasis for advertising, because there's different emphases. Um, I'm doing digital advertising, so that's more just like campaign analytics and, you know, posts it's just like a lot of numbers and stuff and then for my information management technology or slash my iSchool major is just like the regular one they offer which is information management technology and then my concentration for that one is data analytics because I really want to get into um, like data analytics and programming so um, that's basically like the track I'm going and the reason I chose Syracuse was because um, my high school um guidance counselor actually told me about the dual program slash uh, one of the other guidance counselors at my high school went to Syracuse. So he was kind of like raving about like the different programs here. And so I got interested and I was like, oh, like there's something offered for both people who are interested in like IT and public communications. So because of that, I applied and um, yeah, that's basically the programs here or what I, why um, I came. And then when I came here, um, the campus is just so beautiful and accommodating and I've met like the best people ever. So yeah, that's why I chose here. What do you think are some goals of how you might take your degrees and, and apply them uh, to a career once you graduate? Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to, into kind of like utilizing, I guess, both um, fields to kind of, I know I've always wanted to um, kind of make them like combine together in that, um, maybe using like more technology based or programming based and to kind of like allowing for more diverse advertising is what I want to get into. Um, I know like as like before, it was kind of just like the whole audiences thing. I think a lot of people might not, you know, a lot of audiences or marginalized communities might not be getting a certain like message or a certain like um, like story being put into like the regions because of like lack of accessibility or resources and kind of just utilizing science um, to kind of like allow people to, you know, share their stories or kind of be um, like the whole really, really thing, I think would be what I'm more interested in too. But um, I think probably more easier than said. And I think there's still a long way to go to kind of bridge that gap, but it'd be interesting. I think that's what I'm more going into. I hope you're able to follow your passions and, and achieve what you're looking to achieve with your degree. I know that it's, again, a great, unique melding of programs with here at the iSchool and at Newhouse. And it's been great to really get to know and tell your story here on the podcast. Hey, June, we appreciate you making some time and I wish you nothing but the best of luck in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. This has been great. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. 
My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. 